So this weekend, Pastor Sheldon Williams is going to be speaking to us. And most of you know that Pastor Sheldon pastors our satellite campus here at ACAC, which is called Fellowship 412 in Homestead. And if you didn't know that, now you do. But beyond pastoring there, I am so grateful for Pastor Sheldon's heart. He is a dear friend of mine. Tara and I have had the privilege of getting to know him in Faye. And I so am so grateful for his authenticity, his transparency, his passion for the community in Homestead. And so I know that you will be blessed today as you hear from the word from Pastor Sheldon Williams. It's certainly good to see all of you all who are sitting here today, and it's certainly good to be with whoever is online, our ACAC family and friends who are viewing right now online, those who may have dropped in just by way of coming across our website and maybe tuning in. But also I got to send out a special, extra special welcome to the Fellowship 412 family out in the homestead. Certainly miss being with you all this week. But know that I'm soon to return and we're going to turn up like we normally do in Homestead when we get back. So with that being said, let's go ahead and look at today's word. Um, I'm actually going to talk about a subject that I think we all kind of be familiar or should be familiar to us. I'm talking about suffering. And I'm talking about suffering that hopefully won't be a down type of message. Hopefully it'll be a message of encouragement to all of us. And I'm going to use the sermon. I'm going to preach the sermon from two specific scripture verses, although I'll reference some other scripture when throughout the sermon, but two, I want to base it upon two scriptural verses that should be familiar to a lot of us in this room and viewing online because it's something we commonly use when people are going through challenges. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible version. I'll be reading Romans 8, 18 and 19. You can follow along whatever version you may have, whether it's electronic, if you actually have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be shown right up here on the screen and you can follow along. Romans 8, 18 and 19 says this, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. I've titled today's sermon, The Drama of Trauma. Let's read, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I yield myself to you in these moments that you've allowed me to occupy this position, an important one, to, to deliver a word that needs to come from you. So it's with that that I ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to just flow through me, that the words that I am offering today will be according to your thoughts and according to your heart. Father, I ask that whatever it is that someone needs to receive from this message, that they receive it, and that it reaches the hearts of those that need to hear this message today. And in all things, Father, we're always constantly and should be prepped to give you all praise and glory, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get into all the meat of the sermon, I want to share with you that first, I think children— all around, just children all in general, are some of the best actors and actresses on the earth. And I'm talking, if you got kids, whether they're young kids or adult kids, because we have adults, they are some of the biggest actors and actresses. They put on some of the most grand performances before their parents. And I'm sure you can look back through the history of your kids and interactions and say, yep, I can agree with that statement. Boy, they really know how to pour it on. But I will say this, I really think grandkids 
produced some of the most dramatic displays to pull on the heartstrings of their grandparents. Faye and I have nine grandchildren and one on the way, and each of them have their own special personalities and special gift sets to get right at the center of our hearts. And if I need to admit something here, those little emotional manipulators know exactly what to do to get me and Faye to do exactly what they want. Now, there's one thing that we believe about our grandkids. We believe that there's one who's inherently gifted to be an actress. Our granddaughter, Trinity, is destined for the stage. She's destined for the big stage or the big screen. We believe this to be so because we are often the audience for some of her most dramatic performances. We call her our drama baby. And it's not to be demeaning in any way. We mean that. She is our drama baby because she displays her gifting before us all the time. We are a constant audience to her gift set. And so if you don't, just by describing it, I'm going to share something that you'll be able to have a tangible point to be able to hang this on, what I'm going to talk about. You're going to see a video here in a minute. This is a Christmas that just passed, and what we normally do as a tradition, it was done with me, and it was also we did with our kids, now we do with our grandkids, that in the morning we want them to wake up, to come down to see their gifts. We go downstairs, I do this whole fake Santa ho-ho-ho stuff, and then we ring a bell, and they come running down the steps to see their gifts. Well, on this particular Christmas morning, you can watch this. See what I mean? She knows how to turn it on and turn it off. For a brief period of time, she appeared so traumatized that she had missed the opportunity of seeing Santa. But once she saw her gifts under the Christmas tree, she thought Santa was nothing more than an afterthought. And you saw all that disappointment, all that despair change right into extreme joy. Well, I think there's another drama that plays out in the lives of individuals too. And that drama is that of suffering. And I want to talk about that today. I talk about that because I think all of us can agree that that type of drama is the reality of living within a broken world. The topic to be discussed throughout this sermon is related to how some of life's most challenging scenarios can have significant impact upon the lives of individuals. We have all seen or experienced some level of human suffering. And it is not my goal today to try to answer why God allows human suffering to occur. That's a topic for a different sermon on a different day. I hope to provide some understanding as to how human suffering impacts the lives of individuals. I think it's a reasonable assumption to assert that someone in this room or could be viewing online, has experienced a traumatic experience somewhere along their life's journey. And may even be possible 
that someone may be struggling through something today. It is reported that approximately 70% of the world's population has experienced at least one significant traumatic event in their life. And of that 70%, 30% of those individuals have experienced four or more traumatic events within their lifetime. Can I give you more context? It is also reported that one in 11 individuals within the United States will be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, one in 11, somewhere along their lifetime. Now these statistics are quite alarming. It makes you wonder what is actually behind the prevalence of these occurrences. Well, I'll tell you, it's because the inherent nature of a broken world consistently presents opportunities of brokenness to the people who inhabit it. Let's level set something before I continue. I want to merely apply a simple association that can bring some clarity to the point I just mentioned. The introduction of sin into the world set in motion the aspect of brokenness. The result of sin being in the world established separation from the Father who created it, and there is no greater measurement of brokenness that can be compared to that of being separated from the Father. And brokenness simply means this. What once was whole has now been separated into parts, and sin is the world's greatest wedging tool to keep people separated from the Father. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said it when he was doing his commentary of Romans 8:18. He said, as to mankind, not a tear has been shed, not a groan has been uttered, not a pang has been felt in body or mind that has not come from sin. His commentary suggests that all human painful experiences are a result of sin. Now, the intro of sin into the world was also the portal that brought about the presence of human suffering. The two are inextricably linked together, and only a divine intervention can destroy the effects of each of them in this present time, but also into eternity. Only God has the divine ability and the divine authority to destroy both the ravages of sin and the remnants of human suffering. His control over time and eternity grants him the ability to speak directly into any segment of the human timeline with the goal of changing all of humanity's eternity. God speaks, he constantly speaks, and he speaks directly to the hearts of people, he speaks through his word, and he speaks through the words and the lives of his redeemed people. Second Timothy 2 and 4 says it and captures this very well. If there were ever any doubts about God and his heart, Second Timothy says, this is good and acceptable in the, in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all of mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God's desire for his people has never changed. And the prevalence of sin in the world would not keep him from seeking to heal his broken people. God's desire to heal a broken world is manifested through his pursuit to heal 
his broken people. The ultimate healing we can experience in a broken world is that of salvation. God certainly has the ability, without a doubt, to demonstrate healing however he so chooses. Whatever else the human condition, certainly God has the power to be able to heal those. He can do it in a multitude of ways. However, the spiritual condition of brokenness can only be healed through the act of salvation. It should be understood that becoming saved, saved from the penalty of sin and death, no longer required to pay that penalty on behalf. When you become saved, by becoming that, that's a guarantee for the believer that the brokenness of sin that causes eternal separation has been replaced with a guarantee of living in eternity with the Father. It guarantees you that when you become saved. It is the restoration plan of his original intent for mankind that was supposed to live with him forever. But becoming saved eliminates the eternal experience of separation that was caused by sin. But it does not eliminate the present experiences of human suffering. And I wish I could. I wish I could stand up here, be able to pull some scriptures off for you, and through God's word be able to say that all elements of human suffering would be instantaneously eliminated once we became saved. I wish I could do that for you, but I can't. I can't do it, and I would assert that no preacher who would stand before you would be able to do it either because I don't believe that that is written in the divinely inscribed scriptures. You can't find those words that says, when you become saved, the cessation of all human suffering will begin. Haven't found it. But please take note that I did not say God does not have a plan to put an end to all human suffering. That's not what I said. He certainly does. And that is well documented within our scripture. But when we talk about experiencing or the elimination of experience in human suffering, once we receive salvation, it's not there. Let me tell you what is in there regarding human suffering. I see, I see scriptures like this, and I'm paraphrasing those scriptures without giving them because you can search them out. Just look up search, Google it. Google suffering in the Bible and they'll bring up verses that are similar to what I'm telling you and more. Verses that talk about being restored and made strong through our suffering, that we should rejoice in our suffering. Because Christ has suffered in the flesh, we should prepare for suffering. And our scripture reference today calls individuals to consider the suffering that is experienced right now can't be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed through us. And as long as this world exists and people remain part of this world, then the suffering of this world can be a part of people's lived experience. The world is full of sin as well as sinful people. And a consequence of living in a world full of sin produces these occasions for human suffering. And suffering can come about in various ways, by our own actions, the actions of another, or they can just come upon you just by situational circumstances. However they come about though, it can be tracked back, tracked back to one attributable factor, the brokenness of this world. And although we may live in a broken world, it is not a requirement to live as broken people 
within a broken world. We may suffer some things, yet we do not need to continue marching through life feeling broken. Suffering can be an experience in varieties of ways. Many of you could have the testimony about it. When hearing the term suffering, many different mental models might even be formed to associate that term, to give it some context and some meaning. But at its root, when we talk about suffering, it can be associated with something as being quite unpleasant, undesirable, or even downright miserable. And when you think about suffering, pain is a close cousin that's often ascribed when referring to suffering. And that pain can be experienced through multiple human channels. People can experience physical pain, psychological pain, spiritual pain, and emotional pain. And I will venture to say this, that unless a person experiences some level of pain, some measurement of pain, discomfort, hardship, or distress, it would be hard or very difficult to classify that experience as being one of suffering. Those things aren't associated with how do you call it suffering? Now, I didn't want to be misunderstood and the takeaway be that I'm judging what constitutes suffering for anyone listening to this message. I remember talking to Sister Sharon White, our sister in this ministry. I remember talking to her one time, and she was saying, you know, when you come to the table bringing all the things, all the trials, all the things that you are dealing with, the challenges of life, and you get ready to lay them out and display them on the table and begin to share those things because there's so many of them. Then there are others who come to the table and start laying out their items and their challenges and their trials. Sometimes you start hearing the report of whatever people are going through, you'd be ready to pick yours back up. And I agree with her. People go through different challenging things. Now, it's not my intent, nor is it my point to sit back and say, that's not suffering or this is suffering. The point to be made here is suffering requires some element of pain to be present, but it's not required to be permanent. The presence of a painful experience and the permanence of a painful experience is how individuals determine their level of suffering. And suffering is the human response to some traumatic event of life that either occupies your mind or it regulates the emotions of an individual. And these incidents that happen in life may not, certain ones, incidents that register as traumatic events to some may not be so big to another person, but it doesn't, mean, it doesn't minimize it. But to that individual, this could be some huge catastrophic event. Experiencing like loss of a job, loss of a loved one, may plague one person more severely than another, and the impact of that life event may be more traumatic for that individual, especially when you start adding some whys behind it. Why did that have to happen? Why did it have to happen like that? Why, why, why? When you start putting that, then it starts putting context, and it ain't just a life event. Now it's becoming that much more severe to the person who's going through it. So I am not criticizing what classified as suffering. And I'm careful not to be critical of other people's perceptions regarding their trauma or their suffering. I'm quite sensitive, actually. And there seems like every, these seem like everyday occurrences I just mentioned that should be overcome if these events occur. But 
It's quite often, it's the individual's perception and interpretation of that event that will define the traumatic impact in their life. Let me say it this way. If the event of life has no attached personal significance, none, then it would not register to a, as a traumatic event to the individual. If there's no personal attachment of significance to you, it doesn't register as a traumatic event. And just as I mentioned earlier, that sin and suffering are linked together, the overlap of suffering and trauma are so closely associated in our cultural context. When you hear one, you can think of the other. And how individuals live out the way they process and deal and interpret their suffering is the drama that is displayed for others to witness. A lack of appropriate processing or failure to adequately interpret and deal with elements of human suffering can lead some people to some devastating consequences. In the arts, those who know the arts, a drama can be a theatrical performance intended to portray life or character, or it tells a story usually involving conflicts and emotions through actions and dialogue. Hmm. Funny why I picked the title the way I did. When we become saved, our actions and our words are supposed to demonstrate the newness of Christ in our lives. And we often give witness to this newness by sharing verbally, sharing the testimony of how God saved us and how we try to live out our lives after professing that can be a demonstration of being submitted to the will of the Father. Yet also how we deal with human suffering is a powerful witness for the unbeliever and the drama of our trauma should play out differently from how unbelievers deal with their trauma. For believers, there's a script that can be followed that affords an opportunity to understand and to manage human suffering that is so drastically different than that of the unbeliever. And somewhere trailing towards the end of that script of your human suffering, somewhere inserted in a paragraph that's getting near the end as you're telling that story, there should be some attributing of glory to God should be included as you're reading that script. Because that's how, that's how we can deal with our human suffering. So the question to be raised is how does God receive glory out of our human suffering? Now, I don't want to sound blasphemous to nobody hearing this right now. But I want to share my frame of reference, me. I'm not telling you to adopt it, I'm sharing you my frame of reference. And trying to answer that question of why would God, how would God receive glory out of our human suffering? My first question would be, why would he want to or need to? Like thinking about it. If God is all powerful and he sits on his throne all the time and he sits high and majestic, high and lifted up amongst the heavenly host, singing out praises to him all day, stationed in a place where he's glorified all the time. Why would he need to drop some sort of human suffering on you to pull out the elements of, of glory, pull back to him? He already possesses it. So when I'm thinking about why would he want to or need to, that's because when believers glorify God through their suffering, they become the witnessing tool that counteracts that wedging tool I told you about earlier that causes sin and separation in unbelievers' lives. 
when comparing how believers are able to maneuver through suffering as compared to that of the unbeliever, the outcomes should be different. The occasion to experience suffering may not be different, nor the pain that's associated with having to experience may not be different, but the response to the painful experience can certainly be different. And when suffering comes upon a believer, we don't got to like it, nor do we have to succumb to it. We can keep our eyes firmly fixed on our Lord and Savior and yield ourselves to him and boldly proclaim, to God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Man, I wish I had the talents and the gifting like Pastor Allen to preach and sing up here. I'd have sang that to you, but I don't. So I won't, and I'm not covered into his gifts. I'm just saying. So we are able to glorify God differently. And the believer's experience through suffering reveals the power of God and draws us closer to him. And guess what? As the witness of our lives are being displayed, it draws others closer to him. It's a double draw. We go through human suffering we give God glory, we draw closer to him. People witness what we go through when we're dealing with our human suffering, they draw closer to him. And God receives glory through those experiences of human suffering. And God's glory is revealed in the presence of those human suffering in these three distinct ways that you could take away. These are three distinct ways that God's glory is revealed through human suffering. God's glory is revealed when he redeems us. God's redemption plan for, for the condition that brought about all human suffering is that of salvation through Jesus Christ. He destroys the link that causes the eternal pain of separation by providing the bridge that brings us back to him. And when individuals share their testimony of how God redeemed them from a life of sin, They provide the powerful witness that can draw others out of their broken condition of sin into a right relationship with the Father. Two, God's glory is revealed when he relieves us. There are times when our human suffering is only for a time. And God can certainly do the miraculous whenever he chooses to do it to alleviate those pains that are associated with suffering. But let me help somebody with something. Traumatic events of life that occur in your life is certainly a wound, and it hurt, it was painful, and it left you injured. But after the infliction of that wound has occurred, there are patterns of suffering that individuals can experience because of the traumatic experience. Things such as suffering from depression, suffering from substance abuse, suffering from shame, suffering from anger, suffering from unforgiveness, or just a few when you experience some experiences that people continue to suffer through. And these are lingering patterns of human suffering that can be affect, that can affect both the believer and the unbeliever. And the enemy of our soul likes to inflict wounds and perpetuate the effects of them. He wants you to relive the traumatic experience when it's God who wants to relieve us of those traumatic experiences. 
The enemy wants you to live in a trap while God wants you to live in triumph. And God receives the glory when we triumph over those challenges. Finally, God's glory is revealed when he reminds us. God constantly reminds us of how he desires to care for us throughout all of our trials of this life. He tells us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He tells us later in the chapter that we just read with the earlier two in Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He reminds us that he is with us. And earlier I talked about a wound, but let me give you this quick comparison as I close about a wound and a scar. When we look back on the occasions where we experienced a traumatic event that caused us pain or dealing with some element of human suffering, may we view the scars of our injury as a point for and of God's healing and not be reminded of what it means to be hurting. God constantly reminds us that he has the ability to help us to remember our painful moments differently. And when we are able to do that, the glory of God is revealed. And I wanna close this whole sermon with the same way I opened up. I gave you the scripture reference and Paul shared that to the church in Rome when he wrote that letter that he were reading in Romans eight. So let me commend this to you as well as the closing. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy of compared with the glory that is to be revealed in all of us. God bless you.